Hola, we're back. We're back. Um, it's been a busy 24 hours on the Twitter timeline. Um, it sure has. And that has directly inspired this episode. Do you want to tell people what occurred uh, yesterday, May 1st? Well, I know we talked about it, I think, an episode or two ago, but it's official now. Um, the Writers Guild has gone on strike. and The girls said we're done. <laughs> the girls have picked up. <laughs> Their pickets have put it <laughs> outside of the offices. Yes. <laughs> Did you Netflix, see the... HBO, Sony, and Warner. Paramount, uh, Jay Leno showed up with donuts. I said, okay, yep. Mr. I'm retired. I don't care if y'all cancel these talk shows because I wasn't going to be working. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if you saw, there was a tweet where someone had a picket sign that was like, basically like, get it together or we'll spoil succession. I literally was dying when I saw And that. someone I was like, all right, tweet. relax. Yes, and they were like, Enough, pay the people what they want. <laughs> I was like, this is where I draw the line. <laughs> I was like, not this being the sign that ended a thousand wars. You know what I mean? Like, just because y'all want to know how white empire ends. I'm going to need you to stop calling it. <laughs> <laughs> it's white empire. I'm sorry. It's just, it's giving, you know, Cookie Lions, but Cookie Lions is... <laughs> Roy, also in an ill-fitting outfit. The work has stopped as of May 1st. Yep, and we are recording this on May 2nd, so it's... It's been 24 it's, hours now. Yeah, yeah. They um, are, they are I mean, honestly, we sort of, like, previewed this, and we knew this was coming, and there, right. there was a really strong chance. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But the question I've been getting today from a lot of my friends that are not in the industry is like, what does this mean for yeah, me? I, I was like, first of all, show I, some solidarity. First of all, I have a personal trainer. Before you worry about whether or not you're going to be able to watch your shows. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, so I have a personal trainer, and today she had me doing like uh like some squats, and in between in between like wheezing between like squats within the rep, I was like, TVs, writers are on strike, <laughs> and she is like on Zoom and she's like talking to me, and she's like, okay, she's like, what do I mean, and I'm like, no more. <laughs> Abbott Elementary. Right, right. <laughs> that was like the one thing I said to everyone today, and they're like, oh, no. You're, I know, I know, I know. Well, it's so funny. Um, I think it was either Variety or Deadline, but one of them did a thing, uh, like a post where they were like a running list of all the shows that will be delayed, basically, um, mm -hmm. because of, you know, the strike. And so far, it's like, you know, obviously there's tons of shows that could, in theory, be impacted. But I think right now, if I had to guess, it was like seven or eight shows just because those were shows where maybe they had spoken to someone. Like, Brittany Nichols is a writer I do follow on Twitter, and she was quoted in basically being like, yeah, Abbott is a show where, like, we are writing episodes while we're in production. And so 100%. the further that we start, you know, shortened seasons, yeah. shortened storylines, the fans are going to sure. be upset. Um, yeah. And so I Yeah, do, no, I... I, <clears throat> I, get, I, think I get it. For audiences that especially watch shows that are on big networks, mm -hmm. um, and that includes, you know, CBS, Fox, uh, your FBI's, your Chicago Fires, yes, your late night TV. Even though I feel like a lot of people in our age range don't even really watch late night, TV we just get or clips. SNL. We just get yeah, clips. we just like go on YouTube and watch clips. Um, 
So that that part will be different. But those shows that are on cable TV mm-hmm. uh, and broadcast TV are immediately impacted, right? And mm-hmm. I think to, uh, to a lot of what you're saying, um, it's going to be short. Abbott's going to have a shortened season, depending on how far this goes, right? I if mean, this, their writers. If this strike ends in September, start, but right? Still talking. Go ahead. <laughs> Like if, if this starts, if this strike ends in September, it's definitely going to affect Abbott. You're going to see a shortened season. Well, their writers room is supposed to start literally tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of reruns for that. I mean, we're going to get 30 seasons of Love is Blind now, so that is good. Or fine. And the way y'all went up for that, I'm sure y'all will be fine because, oh my God. I know. Listen, don't get mad because pretty soon you're going to have to watch it. Um, <laughs> like he T minus a few uh one one last week until Sankara is watching all <laughs> Discovery's content on Max. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean that's the TLDR out. of it. The TLDR is if you're a Netflix watcher, you probably won't feel it. Probably for another four months, yeah. if it goes that long. Because um, the last one was three months. Yeah, what about 100 days, I think it was. Yeah, it was uh, late 2007 into early 2008. But yeah, that was right. the last one, so. Let's hope it doesn't go that long. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about these negotiations and, you know, how they work, but um, yeah. obviously. what What I'm predicting happens... And come on, this is like come best, on, insider. best case scenario. Yeah, what's up? Is the actors, the SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, and the Directors Guild is also their their contracts are about to be up. Uh, and I'm predicting they're all gonna band together okay. as a show of solidarity, which is gonna force uh, like an actual work stoppage ooh. where like actors can't work mm, and directors mm, are not working. Mm-hmm. So now the studios have to come to the table sooner than they would like. Well, I was telling my trainer again as I was like wheezing between like sit-ups. I was like, the only shows that are going to keep coming out consistently are going to be Tyler Perry Productions and uh, Sam Levinson. Uh, See? Well, because they don't... They Look at the visionary. <laughs> Tyler Perry said, that's why I don't got no writers. Okay, he said, y'all <laughs> clowned me for all of my plot holes and literally everything I've ever written that makes no sense. But guess who's going to keep getting this back during this strike? <laughs> Meet myself and I, because I can't go on strike if I'm the writer and the director and the showrunner and the producer and the editor and the studio and the budget and stuff. It's and crazy. <laughs> what a crazy man. I mean, is he crazy? Because he's going to be still uh, cashing them checks to go buy BET, so... He sure is about to do that. Sure. Listen, I'm like, ugh. it's gonna be Tyler Perry's network, but uh, that and because all this stuff is on BET and OWN, which is kind of crazy, which is Max. So, um, right. Anyway, those are our anyway our notes on the current we stand, state. Yes, uh, in solidarity with the writers, and I hope they get all their coins because I want them to get paid. I have friends who are writers, and I'm like, I want you Same. to live your best life. Let's yeah, I want people to have a livable wage. Let's get what they're asking yeah. for <laughs> is to be to work a livable wage. It's truly nothing, nothing, nothing too crazy, you know, nothing insane. Like <laughs> that's nothing it. big. But this episode, ironically, 
um, is going to focus on sort of this idea. And it's not, we're not dragging the writers for this because they're simply employed. This is, again, a dragging of the studios. But like kind of this idea that it feels, it often feels like there aren't any new original ideas being made in, in Hollywood anymore. I feel like when I think about what's on TV, some of it, so much of it feels like it's an adaptation of something that already exists, that I've already seen before. Do you feel that way? A hundred percent. Yes. The dreaded based on the true story in every time I watch something. And if you were to explain what an adaptation is, uh, how would you describe it? Well, to me... When I think of adaptations, so like the, I'll give you the Sankara yeah. definition and then the the professional. Yeah. To me, when I see adaptation, I think this is, some nigga wrote this and it made its way on screen. Um, that, that used to be my thinking. And then over time. Okay. I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> and then over, over time that started to change okay. because like a lot, I, we started seeing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I started seeing more stuff like, oh, this is from a video game or something like that. Or there are different types of adaptations. Okay. And then the, I guess the definition of adaptation is basically like a transfer of work or story yeah. to a film or a TV series. So like it starts out as one thing and then it kind of gets flipped into right. a film or a TV series. And that thing, it Correct. starts out as... It can be a bunch of different things. And, you know, I think we'll get into some of those. Do you have any sort of concerns when you see something's an adaptation? Do you have things that make you excited? Like what comes to mind when you um, hear that there's going to be a new adaptation of something? It's so funny because <clears throat> when in 2023, when I think of adaptation, I immediately, and I think this is a trauma response, <laughs> I go to Game of Thrones okay. and how when those two guys stopped having the books to reference, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the show got way worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's like my trauma response when it comes to adaptations. Because I always think of like, oh, okay, well, these people are following a source material. And so like a lot of their work a lot of the work has already been done in terms of like setting up the world and stuff like that and granted like a lot of it like they change up the dialogue and add characters here add characters there right but like the bulk of the story is already there and they just sort of lift that and turn it into a screenplay for either tv or the silver screen. so and it sounds like your biggest thing is like is the source material completely finished like Yes. It's it's fine if it's not. Maybe then I just gotta <laughs> wait till the hop on, you know. I <laughs> uh, can't get invested. Or how closely is the source material being followed? Anyway. Like here. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't read. So I can't tell you the last that's not true. Well, yeah, I, I actually can't tell you the last fiction book I've okay. read. Okay. And so it's tough for me. Like a lot of times people say, oh, this was adapted from a book. And I'm like, I don't know that. It literally has nothing to do with me at all. Uh, <laughs> like they could, they could be lying <laughs> to me. I wouldn't know. 
I yeah, I actually I read a lot of articles. I don't read a ton of books. It's not the attention span. Um, but I do think I think there's interesting ways that people adapt things, right? Like I think sometimes, um, you know, well, I should say this. I think there's there's different ways that they do it. And I just need to like level set my expectation of like what the amount of faithfulness is and like how we're building that out. And if I know that in the beginning, then cool. So like, for instance, I have not read um, Bridgerton, right? But Mm -hmm. people, you know, are kind of like, oh, well, this is like pretty aligned to the book, but it doesn't seem like it's like also like a a one for one, you know, everything is the exact same. Like they understand Mm -hmm. like, okay, there's eight books because there's eight Bridgerton children and each, you know, the book follows sort of, you know, their marriage, you know, off of, you know, the marrying off of one of the kids. And so, you know, yeah. I think that, you know, okay, we can now come to uh, the show and we see the first season and a lot of people, like, I don't even think read the books, which also I think is another thing that maybe adds into this a little bit. It's like, how crazy mm-hmm. is the fan base about the source material? Because I feel like a lot of people didn't read Bridgerton, so, like, they were not going up and off about any types of variation. But something like, uh, obviously, like, we see this a lot with, like, nerds, right, in fantasy, where, like, Uh "Mm, a Black person, you're like, first of all, they're mermaids. Like, chill out. First of all, the (laughs) Hobbit. Relax. You'll be all right. (laughs) They're not even real people. Please, please touch grass and leave us alone. But, like, that's a fan base. Like, nerds are such, like, sticklers to source material that, like, I'm just like, you're now ruining this because we can't even just watch it in silence. Right. Like, let us have peace. Um, But yeah, I think that, I think that, like, if it's, if it's established, like, oh, like, this is a whole series or this is a whole book and we're going to make the first season align exactly to the book. And then the second season, we're going to like do something a little bit different. Like if I know that, then I can go in and be a lot more chill as opposed to game of Thrones, where like you said, they were outpacing the books being written. And then when everyone figured out, Oh, this is how, you know, this is going to end who's on the throne as showrunners, they got upset that people predicted it. And I'm like, this isn't even your story to tell. Like, (laughs) <laughs> if George is if George is cool, then you need to be cool. And look right. at you trying to be cute. <laughs> yeah. Ruin and I think legacy. that's like that is in the Hall of Fame of fumbling a bag yeah. because that show was gonna go down as probably like the greatest show ever. And like it soured the yeah. world to an extent that I had never seen. I wasn't I didn't even think that was possible. <laughs> that everyone everywhere was like, what was yeah, to the point where like they had to go into hiding because like they had other shows that they were gonna make and they never yeah. made them. I mean, they've they've basically lost the trust. Um, yeah, you know, completely. what else I think is kind of uh, another thing that we should think about with adaptations that I had never considered actually until this week. Um, Judy Bloom wrote these books or a book. I don't know. I did not read these. Are not my books as kids, but um, she wrote a book called. Um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Please don't ask me what it's about. I, I think it's coming of age. I think it's adolescence of like a, you know, white 12-year-old girl. I think, I really, I really don't know. But I saw this tweet that was like this woman being like, I don't know who decided to release this movie <laughs> at this particular point in time 
Because the target audience of this film is like women in their like 40s who are like teachers, right? Like we're like academics, (laughs) right? Like this was a book we read as kids and like you needed to release this in the summer because that's when we're free (laughs) and we would have bought all the tickets. And I was like, (laughs) oh, that's so interesting. Like I, I don't think I've ever really thought about like how has like the source material. I thought I think we, I think we think about like how have problematic parts of source materials aged mm-hmm. and like you remove those mm-hmm. from the adaptation. But like also I'm like, wow, do we need to like start thinking about like who is this for? Right? Is this for the people who yeah. enjoyed this thing when it first came out, or is it for new audiences? And like, mm-hmm. how do we adapt to the sensibilities? of the original audience who's now older, if that's the route you choose to go. Yeah. You know, like, I was like, that's so true. Like, releasing this film, if it's for women who are, you know, nurses, for you know, in their 40s, even their parents, right? Like, they're a working. Those kids are still in school. You got to get them at the summertime, Mm -hmm. you know, when the kids are out on summer break and they say, maybe I'll take a week off here, sneak off, go to the movie by myself. And I just was like, wow, like, thinking about how your audience has changed since the source material is something I'd never really thought about. That's a really great point. Yeah. I never, I, I, I guess I only think about that when it comes to, like, um, certain types of movies, like action yeah. movies and stuff. But I never really thought about that from a, like a adaptation perspective. Yeah. But that does make sense though, because like if you're trying to maximize your audience, especially if it's like a like you're releasing this for a specific audience, like you should probably cater that mm-hmm. like release to when they are most available. Yeah. To but watch also it. like just like where they're at in their lives, like. I just, I think we spend so much time being like, how do we adapt this to the current time? But it's like, but how do you adapt this to your audience and who they are now versus who they were then, right? Like, how do you like trigger nostalgia and emotions and feelings of the past with like, you know, Mm -hmm. the people who read this book, you know, when it came out in like the 80s or 90s or whatever, like, how do we like tap into what they were feeling at that time now that they're in a different stage? So... Yeah, and this isn't an adaptation, but I this is how exactly how I feel about um, Stranger Things okay. because Stranger Things taps into that nostalgia right. of the eighties, right. and also always almost always releases like either in the yeah. summer or during Halloween because they know like Stranger Things is either scary or like there are parts of like summer storylines that they have in there. I think it was like season two and three. Um, so yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Like adaptation and date releases actually matter. They work, yeah. man. I mean, I don't. I I also think too that like I don't watch Stranger Things. It's just it's too much. It's too dark for me. But um, you miss I'm out. okay because I'm not missing out on sleep. That's how I feel. <laughs> uh, um, like I'm good. But I do think it's interesting too because like I think that like summertime as as an adult like summer feels so nostalgic of childhood right because you're just Mm -hmm. like as an adult you're like wow remember when i used to like be outside smelling like outside running around scraping up Mm -hmm. my knee (laughs) and so like to have a show like stranger things that's in the 80s right that like is kind of designed in theory for like a audience of millennials probably you know what i mean like 
I, sure. I think it gets picked up because of like cultural zeitgeist, like the cultural zeitgeist, like is talking about it. Like, so other generations are into it, but I'm like, yeah, like tap into that by, you know, like you said, those summertime releases and those summertime storylines, like really playing that up. Um, so it's like, if we see that in non-adaptations, then we definitely need to think about that in adaptations. But let's shift a little bit and let's talk about like, what are the types of adaptations um that you've seen recently um hmm. well the most recent one for mm-hmm. me um is video game adaptation okay. um and it would be the last of us um now it's not the first of its kind but i think it's the first one to be done so well that it has sort of like crossed the venn diagram and no longer like just the right. nerds and the gamers. Now, like everyone watches the show, and it's done so well. Where, where, like, even if you didn't play the game, you can sort of pick this mm-hmm. up. Um, and to my point earlier, when I was sort of like defining what an adaptation is, I feel like we're moving into an era where like a lot of things can be adapted. Yeah. Um, and so The Last of Us being a video game one, and another one I I can think of like off top is podcast adaptations i've seen that a lot um the two that stick to me the most is the dropout yeah um and the shrink next door Mm -hmm. which is on apple tv Mm -hmm. um two of which that it's so weird to think like oh now we're even at the point where like we're adapting podcast series into live action and they're working that's the thing about it too right like it's just one an emmy i mean so yeah I mean, she was she was <laughs> she was a serving a scammer illness. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big video gamer, but didn't Halo also get an adaptation? Yes. So Halo got one, I think, last. Did year. you watch it? Um, I I watched one episode, but I didn't. Okay, like why it. was that? Uh, which is why I had. Uh, well, I just didn't think it was well done enough. And to your um. To your prerequisites of things to consider when doing an adaptation, I don't think it stayed faithful enough to the source material to be good. Um, I I didn't want it to be like a one to one faithfulness, but like the storylines were almost very different. They like changed who the the main character was in a sense that of like. That's not, and it like didn't work. Okay, wait. Right, oh. I try to give things chances, okay. but it just didn't work. I'm confused. Uh, sorry. Uh, pull over. Um, okay, so I don't play video games. I thought I didn't know that Halo like had a true storyline. I thought it was just like we're gonna build a, like a world. We're gonna set you up with a context, and now you are a shooter, and that's all I know. Like. Uh, no, it had a story. Does it feel like it's a story that's again? I don't play video games, so, but it sounds like people, uh-huh. excuse me, are like, oh, like it's kind of crazy. The Last of Us is like so close, like to the the game, which makes me interpret The Last of Us as being like very storyline throughout the entire gameplay, mm-hmm. the, the the entire gameplay experience. Is mm-hmm. ha- would you say that Halo's storyline? you know, is comparable and that, like, there's a through, you know, the entire experience sort of storyline that, like, oh, these are checkpoints. Um, yes. Now, The Last of Us as a video yeah. game has probably some of the best writing you've ever find in a video Okay. Game. 
Like that, that actually was made for TV. I can see why HBO is the one that picked that up because like the writing is so good. It's comparable to like their Game of Thrones and The Wire show. So that made sense. Most video games, and I think that's what people don't know, people that play, most video games have storylines, okay. right? They might not be as robust okay. as The Last of Us, but they have a through line from like Halo 1 all the way to Halo 5. There's a main character. The main character has a journey, right? Of, okay. Like in the midst of all the fighting, there's like a journey that the main character Okay. Because yeah, I feel like the last time I like played a video game was like a Grand Theft Auto and it's like, we're here, we're stealing, we're doing mini missions, you know what I mean? And I guess in theory, like, mini yeah. missions of, like, being a miscreant and a menace to society, uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> you know, threads together into a storyline. Like, maybe I just never thought of it that way. Um, but yeah, I'm not a yeah. gamer, so I felt like, I felt like when people talked about The Last of Us, it sounded like, oh, there's a story in the game that feels really full, mm-hmm. and so that's, mm-hmm. you know... Also part of yeah. the joy, and, but Halo didn't feel that way to me as an answer. No, and I, and I would say that's like a, from the, I wouldn't say from the 2010s to now, video games have become way more robust mm-hmm. into their writing where like actual screenwriters are writing these games, which is why they feel robust. So like there's a bunch of other games that are coming oh. that are being adapted. Okay. Um, that have just as robust storylines as The Last of Us because they're good enough to be on screen. Now, will they be adapted as well? I don't know. Okay, final question. That's TBD. When did Halo come out? Last year, no, sorry, I believe. The original game. Oh, I mean, Halo came out in like the early 2000s. Okay, so it predates like the type of story development that you're talking yeah. about. For sure. Okay. For sure. Um, okay, yeah. so we talked about video games a little bit. Um, I know that you famously don't read, and I also famously don't read um, books. Uh, <laughs> I read some books, but none of these books. Um, let's talk about books to live action. So, yes. I love those. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of some of my fave things in like there. Like what? Um, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, Game I forgot. <laughs> How can I? Um, Station Eleven being oh, another sad over there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I be telling you, I'm all about trauma. And TV, I baby. am literally like, my life is hard enough. I am not watching <laughs> Station Eleven. I didn't see it. I just was like, I can't. Oh wow, you missed out on a Did ten I out of miss ten out on being sad. TV. No, why? Because we were living through <laughs> a global pandemic, and I was like, when I tell you that show is dope, pressing. <laughs> I was like, why are y'all but man, I ain't reality? That Just turn on the news. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm literally dodging ah. Apple news notifications and y'all are like, tap, tap, tap in. I'm like, this is mental. Mental. I want problems that are not mine. <laughs> That's where I live, baby. Oh Trauma TV is gosh, where I I'm live. Like, give me a slavery something while I'm sitting on my couch in air conditioning. Like, I don't need to be living the mess. Which actually... So yes, book, book to live action is like one of my favorite things. Even though like I... So funny enough, I do the opposite. So like when I watch it, if I like it enough, I'll buy the do book. Do you read it? <laughs> so I have Station oh, 11, wow. yes. I, I 
I do wow. the other way. Somebody pull up a uh, news ticker. This just in: man who claims he doesn't <laughs> read books read a book after being depressed I, on I TV don't... to be depressed in his head. All the all the books that I read are like like biographies and and nonfiction. I just don't read fiction books. Like I used to Love a fiction book. Um, you know, I really loved um, an instance where I loved it, but I did not. I could not with the adaptation was Underground Railroad, actually. Um, I don't know if, yeah, Barry Jenkins Jenkins was, you know. Didn't read that. Loved the adaptation. I loved the book. Another trauma TV. And I think that was why. I was like, there's something different about, like, watching this, right? And I think... And maybe I don't know. Maybe that's also it. Like I read fiction books, but I don't. I don't read them very frequently. I'm a big uh, audiobook girly, but I feel like mm-hmm. seeing something in my head and then you know, rec- you know, reconciling with it in you know what choices are made with casting mm-hmm. and with you know, you know, direction. Like I feel like Barry Jenkins. I was like. I don't need the moonlight treatment applied to slavery, right? Like, I don't need a beautiful looking slave scene. <laughs> I'm good off that. Like, I was no, eating like, it up. Give me, I said, yeah. Give me regular, regular, uh, just slave representation. Don't make it pretty. Like, I watched. He was trying to tell you that they had humanity too. <sighs> they were, they were seen outside of just being, you slaves. know. And I know that. I know, I know, I knows it. I knows that's true. But I just was <laughs> like, looking at this um, in this way is a little too much. And I don't know. But you know what I did watch, um, which is an interesting uh, kind of take on that. Um, I watched Kindred, which is based off of the book mm-hmm. by Octavia Butler. And I didn't, I did not read the mm-hmm. book. Uh, ironically enough, I watched the show and then my friend who I watched it with was like, I'm going to read the book. And then she read the book and she was like, whoa, could have done without that. And I was like, girl, nobody told you to go pick it up. <laughs> but something that was really interesting is the first season of the book, of the, uh, the show, sorry, because it was, it was tattered as like a limited series, I think. But the, the that season mm-hmm. was only the first half of the book. And I was oh. like, this is a risky choice because you're assuming you're going to get picked up for season two. And it was interesting because I did a lot of like reading and research on the the source material in the book. It's basically mm-hmm. about a woman who um, keeps time jumping back to the 1800s um, to a plantation that essentially, you know, through the course of the story, you kind of figure out there's like a relationship between her familial history and, you know, this plantation she keeps jumping back to. Um, And what's really interesting is in the book, the present day is set when the book was written in like 1975, 76. And she is married Mm -hmm. to a white man who often uh, kind of does these time jumps with her. And then in the, the TV adaptation, present day is 2016 and instead ah. of jumping the instead of her like the the man she's with he is not her uh husband he is her one night stand and so something that's uh. really interesting about this adaptation and my friend and i talked about this a lot is like 
it's kind of interesting, right? Because in in the context of a marriage and like being married to this white man, like I understand why he's jumping back in time with you because you're his wife. But like, what's the motivation mm-hmm. for that when y'all just like met and then hooked up? You know what I mean? Like, imagine you have mm-hmm. a one night stand, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, you are in a plantation and you're stuck there for eight years. Like, whoa, this is crazy. That's crazy, <laughs> right? So like. It is an interesting choice because, like, the adaptation is doing something different, and it does make you as the viewer. I do think that's kind of a plot hole, but, like, it does make you as the viewer, like, reconcile the story in a very different way, right? Like, what would motivate you? Did you like it? Um, Yeah, actually, I did like it. I chose not to read the book because I already knew the vibe was downer. And so I was like, why would I read this? (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, but I did read the Wikipedia sort of like note to sort of see, you know, how it plays out in the event that it doesn't get picked up, like how the original story. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. Yeah, I I liked that. I, and that's kind of the point that I think I was making earlier without even realizing it. Like you have to think about who your audience is and make it relatable. And I think that like, this is a Hulu, like F it's a FX of Hulu, you know what I mean? Potato, potato. Um, And their audience is like me, the millennial. And so like modernizing the, the present day to being 2016 did do something different than yeah. I think if it was in 1976. You know? No, for sure. I so, agree with that. I think that was a calculated yeah. move, especially 2016 exactly. specifically. <laughs> wow. You had to be there. And if you were there, if you know, you know. <laughs> it was a... Wow. It was, it was a, a time. I mean, we're still, we're still it in it, but that, that was when the time started. And right. It was spooky season. Uh, wow, the girls were CRT'd <laughs> out. Um, but also, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about some other books to live actions and like sort of what we think. Um, okay. We also have um, little Little Fires Everywhere. What did you think of that? Uh, again, it's another one. I, a lot of these, I, I did not Mm -hmm. read the book for that. Um, but I do remember people saying, um, like kind of bringing up the similarities and to the book. That's the thing with like specifically books, right? That I think is different than the other types of adaptation. The other types of adaptation, I feel like they don't get as much because a lot of people again read. <laughs> and so they're like, eh, this is not how mm-hmm. they did it in the book. <laughs> and I did not, I it's seldom, I have not felt what that was like until I watched Last of Us. Like the feeling of knowing a source material so okay. well that you can you'll like you're gonna pick up on the slightest yeah. change. Right? Um and I never really, like, I always used to say, like, oh, let the creator be the creator. Like, like, yes, they adapt the work, but they also have creative license to adapt it in a way that they think fit the story they're telling in the new medium. Because sometimes some things in a book will work, but it won't work in live action. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I feel like a lot of the book adaptations, Little Fires Everywhere included, I saw a lot of this is uh this was a little different. Um 
than how it was in the book. Like, I know that's also famous for like Harry Potter mm-hmm. and like people are like, oh, they they like dove way deeper in this in the book. And in the movie, it's a little different. Um, but again, fine by me. I ain't read it. <laughs> I feel like this next one, there's not too much to talk about, but like, let's do it anyway. Um, social media adaptations. And with that, you know, I think the only thing I can really think of is Zola. Yeah, I think that's the else? biggest one. Yeah. Um, Talk about again, it. Again, I think it's another, to our point, like the adaptation word is being applied to a lot of things in twenty in in the 2020s. Um, and I think a lot of it is because a lot of things can get turned into stories, right? And mm-hmm. you, the, there's the famous like, People on Twitter, Black Twitter, always love to do the a fan castings one or like yeah or fan stories. Yes. Um, I love them, and that's sort of like a step beyond that, where someone told a story on Twitter, and a bunch of people in a studio was like, "Yo, we could turn that into a movie because this was entertaining enough." Um, I think there's gonna be more of this. I think Zola definitely set a precedent. Um, and I know we talked about podcasts, but the podcast to me also set a precedent where like a lot of things nowadays can get turned into some sort of adaptation, either a movie or a TV. And really, if you think about it, that's kind of like how things work, right? Like a book idea only derives from someone having an idea. The only difference is Zola, that person put it on a social media app. So it was only like it was inevitable that, and I think Twitter is unique where Twitter, right. it's like, it's being, it's a piece of written content where that's mm-hmm. different than like TikTok or Instagram. Um, right. Where you, you can like go on Twitter, read the whole thread and then formulate a story out of that really. Well, I would push back a little bit and say that like, the the thing about Twitter that's different than a book is, like, it's very clear, like, who owns the rights of a book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the author, right? But, like, it also feels like because there's, like, a formalization process from you being, like, I have an idea to, like, I don't need to write this out, to, like, I don't need to publish this. And, like, publishing it kind of is, like, okay, like, that's, like, sort of the version of, like, a, like filing a patent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for an invention. You're, like, well, I've published it, <laughs> so my story, my idea, you know, my name, and it's locked in, loaded. Sure. But I feel like with Zola and they, you know, it's kind of interesting because this played out a lot behind the scenes, but like there is no really formalization, like formalization process, right? Like you write a tweet and you hit send and like, who owns that tweet? Do you own that tweet? Does Twitter own that tweet? And like, you know, I think about like, um, you know, a lot of news now, like, it incorporates and embeds tweets into stories and people that are like unfamiliar or that are like ignorant to how this works will be like, I didn't say you could use my tweet in your article. And it's like, sweetie, they didn't have to ask you. Like, that's not the, this is not a book. Mm -hmm. Like that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that ends up happening with Zola, that's kind of interesting, um, you know, is Zola happens as tweets and then 
a writer comes in from Rolling Stone and then writes an article. And then that article is what gets sold Mm -hmm. to then be made Mm -hmm. into the screenplay. And I don't know if I've told you this story before. I think I have, but like, you know, I went to go see Zola and this girl made me take her picture outside of the uh, film, you know, like the poster outside of the theater. Cause she's like, this is my dad's movie. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was in the movie uh, and the credits are rolling that I realized that, Oh, her dad is the guy that wrote the article. Mm-hmm. And so she believes that this is his movie. Yeah. And I would assume that Isaiah King, aka Zola, would argue, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the um, perfect segue into the articles. Cause you're right. I think yeah. it gives it like a the articles are almost as clear cut as books or video games <laughs> or podcasts, because you can point to, hey. This person wrote this article. Um, and I feel like articles are another one where, like, it's running rampant. I feel like we're going to see a lot more. Um, yeah, huh? we're going to see so many articles. Articles, <laughs> like, articles. It's going to be so many articles turned into shows and movies. Let me go write an article. We plan. <laughs> Cut off the mic, pick up the pen. Break some news right now. <laughs> see if it don't get picked I mean, up. The thing, too, that article. So, articles, okay. I feel like books are like the nonfiction adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. And article, sorry, the fiction adaptation. The articles are like nonfiction adaptations, right? Um, but I think the thing that's so interesting that we see, you know, when trying to take nonfiction articles and then they are adapted, uh, is that there seems to be such a spectrum of like what's real, what's not, people contesting things. Um, I feel like when articles are written, you know, they have their fact checks, you know, by the publication. But then it's like, you can get something like The Cut wrote that article about Anna Delvey, right? And then they kind of did a quasi-fictionalized dramatization for Inventing Anna, which is very different than, you know, um, I don't know, something that, well, actually, I don't know. Maybe maybe the other examples I think of are similar to that too. But like, I don't know if you, I don't feel like you didn't watch Inventing Anna. I feel like you very specifically were like, this is bad. Chill I out. Like, I watched the first I mean, three episodes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me be clear. I think it was horrible. <laughs> and I'm someone that has a scam podcast, read the article the day it came out, have been following <laughs> Anadelity. My mom sends me updates when this girl's about to get released from prison. Like, I'm very in it, right? I, th- but, I, I thought the Netflix documentary was way better than the show. I'm like, there's a documentary? Yeah, they did a documentary on her. This was wild. This was a while ago. I, um, okay, well... One of the, the one, something that about this is really interesting, okay? One of the girls, too long, don't read, Anna Delvey, uh, pretending to be a German heiress, not an heiress of anything at all, um, has conned big, big, big money into starting a, like, art yep. thing, and it was all a scam. And part of also what she was doing was kind of skimming like her friends to like live an opulent lifestyle. And so she ends up meeting this girl who works at Vanity Fair and the two of them go on a trip to Marrakesh, uh, Morocco. And Anna was like, oof, I don't have the money. I'll wire you later. And then little Miss Vanity Fair says, oh, I'll put it on my corporate (laughs) credit card 
And it was like a $60,000 charge because they were like, we're not leaving, letting you leave this hotel until you pay it. And she was like, oh, Anna got me. Anna got me good. Anna's a villain. And then we all were like, girl, you wanted to go on that trip. Like, you shouldn't have gone. You couldn't afford it. Like, yep. it was kind of this whole crazy thing. So something that was really interesting, though, about this, this is why I give all that context, is that woman wrote a book about her experience, right? Mm -hmm. And then Lena Dunham actually bought the rights to her side of the story, right? So like when this happened and the article comes out in the cut that's like Anna's perspective, she basically is like, oh, Anna's not going to play me for Boo Boo the Fool. She does an article for Vanity Fair. Then she writes the book. And then uh, Lena Dunham buys the rights. And then the, the, the show adaptation that Lena Dunham does ends up not happening. It doesn't yep. happen. So she then gets upset because now we're all watching the Inventing Anna and she's like, this isn't real. This is wrong. And da, da, da. And everyone was like, girl, you look like a user. Like, you <laughs> look like you, you know, are not as innocent in this as you purport mm -hmm, to be. Mm -hmm. And so something about, and the reason I bring all this up, and it's like, I don't know. There's something interesting about like the adaptation of these like very real stories mm -hmm. and like, the ways that, like, there is no, like, fan base to fight for faithfulness, but, like, characters that are involved try to fight for, like, mm -hmm. I was not represented accurately. Um, and I think that as a viewer, like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Actually, I, that's I, not why I'm here. <laughs> I totally agree. And I think... <laughs> This, I didn't put this point in here, but this also is kind of a reason why I think adaptations are becoming so popular and the business behind yeah. it is to your point about that story, it's the messiness. I think mm -hmm. people outside of the two parties, this Lil Miss thing and Anna, mm -hmm. we don't care. Mm -hmm. Truly don't. <laughs> I, true, I really don't. I'm here for eight hours, yep. and once those eight hours are up, if there's another article that drops, yeah, keep me updated. Keep me abreast. We do Anna not. Got released from prison, we do not care. But yeah, sweetie, I, it just was giving this also weird thing where it was also like, you're now negotiating with parts of the source material in real time because she's like screaming like, they're doing me dirty. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And all of us were like, girl, you made money back from the article, from the book. Mm -hmm. You got, you know, the, the corporate, you know, entity basically called fraud on the credit card. So nobody was looking at you to pay back twice your annual salary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Calm down. But like, instead of us arguing with like showrunners by being like, you've made a weird choice, you know, writers at Game of Thrones. I'm just like, girl, we are not arguing with you. <laughs> we're but, not doing But we are going to do is watch the show, though. And we are. And we're going to have opinions. And I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, Lena, didn't make your version. But like, I'm not losing sleep over what you feel is a smear campaign on this. <laughs> And it's interesting, though, because, like, this happens constantly. Pam and Tommy, there was a lot of... Th that one actually is really different. I, I would like to clarify. I do think this one is a lot different. But, like, Pamela Anderson, you know, was like, I did not consent to this sex tape being released when it was released. Mm -hmm. And I don't really consent to a really traumatic thing happening to me being made into a series for entertainment. Yeah, that's kind of the overall point I was going to make about articles. 
adaptation. Um, yeah. What we're sort of learning is like it's a slippery slope, and mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like it's a mixed bag because aside from because the articles beaten written are not about stories that come from the minds of the people writing them. Right. Um, it opens up a can of worms about the credibility of the stories that are getting picked up. Because to my to my point just now about what is the business behind these and why they're so popular is the biggest one is not only is are like studios are, are looking for like the next thing to tell, it's the messiness of it, right? Like yeah. studios are telling these stories because they know like people were hooked on this particular story in culture. And so mm-hmm. like we can repackage this into a narrative and people will watch, right? Um, for better or for worse, right? And I think Hustlers being another one where like, again, story being told, the movie was wildly popular when it came out. Yeah. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure Sis, didn't Sis get like a Golden Globe nomination out of this or something like that? I don't know. I mean, um, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know how the awards shook out, shook out though. Yeah. But again, Wildly popular, but it's a slippery slope because you're going to get stuff like Inventing Anna or Pam and Tommy, where the people behind it are going to be like, mm, I don't know if I consent to this or like if I, this is accurate. I think that, and I'm jumping the gun into a different, um, uh, into a different like subgroup, but it, it touches on this theme. But like, um, I remember I really liked, uh, was that the thing about Pam, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a dateline sort of episode that they then fleshed out into a, you know, scripted series. And because it was a dateline, it was a true crime, right? Like a woman really murdered her friend, allegedly, but I mean, okay. Um, and I and Renee, it was a show that Renee Zellweger did where she was in the fat suit for anyone who's like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that. I was on TikTok one day and this girl was like, basically doing like a straight to camera thing being like you know pov like your mom's very traumatic murder has been made into a campy you know tv show starring renee zellweger and i was like whoa hold on a second (laughs) and i do think that like when we think about like these adaptations i do think that we probably need a different type of care put into things that are based on true like true crime and violation of like sexual violation like physical safety violations right like murder mm-hmm. like that feels very different to me than like inventing anna right like she was scheming she was robbing that also feels very mm-hmm. different than like theranos right with uh all the like adaptations of you know amanda seafried's and then you know whatever like right. those feel very different to me than a situation like hustlers where like people were like are you know sort of arguing about like you know <clears throat> you can't i mean it's not even an argument but like you can't really be drugging people like this is crazy yeah. <laughs> Pam and tommy you know she didn't get to that sex tape yeah. uh you know the thing about pam and like that feels very different to me than like um you know there's a new doc coming out um about black twitter right we're like that's not a crime like 
<laughs> someone wrote a really interesting three-part essay on the history of Black Twitter and adapting that into something like great like there's you know there's no no one was harmed in the making of this retelling yeah but again this is why i say it's a slippery slope because (laughs) you sort of open up a can of worms because studios are just after profit and Mm -hmm. subscribers and views and so once we sort of like set the precedent and i think the precedent has been set in a lot of these categories where basically what we're saying is it's no longer just books where people do adaptations it's Video games. The precedent is sent. As soon as people saw how popular The Last of Us was, two, a month later, oh every studio was like, I'm going to go buy my own video game to turn into a live action. Um, articles are the same way. Podcasts are the same way. And so what it does is it you're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? And I think the ugly is going to be ugly. Right. Right? But at the end of the day, a lot of these things are... Because they already come with a sort of fan base. People want these things. That's that's kind of it at the end of the day. Aside from like, I would say, um, like news pieces. So like that Black Twitter article. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But like the messiness has a fan base, right? I think about like stuff like Serial. Um, they're murder murders, right? Gaslit, which is basically about Watergate, right? And then all the books already have fan bases. The Last of Us already has a fan base. Zola kind of already did. The reason why people went to see that is because they remember the story. It black was a very like targeted story that was told right. about black community. And so that's the thing. It's just like, hey, y'all going to see that? So, but I feel like th- I feel like though, like I don't know, like to your point, like if it's a news story retelling, like the slope is actually not that slippery, right? Like something that's so interesting with like, and let's just go ahead and like kind of skip over to like podcast live action, right? Like when we talk about like serial, right? Like that's been really interesting because like that's done weird things with like the, um, like the podcast has done weird things with like the actual trial, right? Or not trial, hundred percent. Right? Like, 100%. he was out, now he's back in. I don't even know what's going on there. And then, like, the Murdoch murders is also interesting because, like, they did one on HBO that... Okay, so... that Okay, hold on. This one is kind of interesting and complicated for its own reasons. It starts as a, a podcast. This woman is like, I am doing... I'm a journalist. I'm reporting live, local. This is crazy. Y'all should listen to it. Don't make fun of my vocal fry. Then... HBO says, okay, cool. Here's a little miniature situation. Then Netflix goes, okay, cool. Here's a three-parter. And I think the thing that was interesting was like, who said yes to the HBO one versus the the Netflix one? And the Mm -hmm. Netflix one, it's like all of the kids who were friends with the kid who was, you know, and, you know, the son of Alec Murdoch, like they all said yes. And to, yeah. to, the, to the Netflix one. So, like, there also is a little bit of a component here where it's like, okay, well, there's different types of agency because, like, when it's your story and you're involved in it, that also feels very different. For sure. Um, as opposed to the HBO one where, like, none of them were involved. Yeah, and then it it's like also... A yeah, it's, like, a little less interesting because you're kind of, like, you're not contextualizing anything new either. Yeah. Um 
Whereas the, you know, Netflix one, you're picking up on the dynamic of these kids because it's real time and it's also happened a little bit later and so the trial is still happening. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think that there's also room to say that in an adaptation of like a nonfiction story, it, I think it also matters greatly who's involved. And like, yeah. I think about the 1619 Project with Nicole Hannah-Jones, I'm like, she wrote the book, she did the podcast, she was involved in the New York Times piece, and she was involved with the docuseries. So, <laughs> sounds all good to me, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's my, that's my, I think, like, trying to find the lines of demarcation of, like, ethics and, like, what's morally... Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a gray well, area sometimes, honestly. For sure. Um, all right, to wrap us up, I feel like we've hit on a lot of things. Is there any adaptation of anything that you would like to see? Ooh, I think for me, um, there's some, I'm on a big like crusade to tell people that uh, video game writers or real writers and okay. like they be doing some, they be cooking over there. Come on, WGA um, support system. <laughs> So I'm on a big, like, so what I want to see next is some other video games that I know is coming. Uh, particularly, there's a, a video game called God of War that the writing in that game is, oh my God, it's phenomenal. Um, and I, I know a game is, has really good writing when, like, I finish playing the game, I, like, I'm looking up who wrote this. And nine times out of ten... It's like actual writers that like they hired to come write this story. Um, and I think that's going to do wonders for the video game industry. And I think of it like a, as a holistic thing, because what it opens up is like um, people that want to get into like that want to work in Hollywood. Um, they'll yeah. have sort of like the Pandora's box open for them where they don't solely have to work on TV shows. Um, if you're really into video games and you want to get into writing for video games, there's a path there. And the work could be just as fulfilling as if you were writing for, you know, any other, any other show. So okay. So you are, you're trying to, uh, you're trying to campaign for the video games. Okay. I sure am. Okay. Listen, come on, Union Rep. Like, come on. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Um, what okay. about you? Um, Mine is um, The Vanishing Half. Um, it was and remains one of the best books I've ever read. Um, in 2021, it was actually um, in development. Uh, Aziza Barnes, Jeremy O'Harris um, were writing it. And then Issa Rae and a woman named Stephanie Elaine, I believe, um, mm -hmm. they were set to produce it. And it is kind of confusing because, uh, this was in, the book came out in 2019 or 2020. I, it was like, I listened to it in a, it's like a 12 hour book. And I listened to it in 24 hours during early weeks of the lockdown shout out to audiobook culture um <laughs> and it doesn't exist <laughs> uh jeremy o'harris is no longer working on it um i know that there were uh it sounds like some creative differences um but it truly was 
the best book I've ever read, like of fiction. Like I, wow, iconic, like obsessed. And I am just devastated that this, I do not have a visual um, of this yet. And so I don't know. I hope Issa is still still (laughs) attached. Uh, I don't, I'm like, girl, I don't know who you and the author Britt Bennett both know, but you need to get it together. Okay. (laughs) I want everybody to get their bag. Um, And I do think it's kind of interesting because I have very strong personal feelings on the way that Jeremy O'Harris represents and interacts with Black women in work. Mm -hmm. And this is a story about Blackness and um, trying to, to one degree, escape, but also Mm -hmm. to one half, like, sort of lean in. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if this was the best person for that adaptation. So I see. Hopefully okay. we can get someone else in there because the girls, we want to vanish. We want we want to vanish because um, the book was booking. So yeah, that's what that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I need. But all right. TBD. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll keep our eyes peeled. Um, all right. Well, it was good talking and we'll be back. Bye. Bye. Bye.